Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. From Hope, BC, I'm Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. It's clear that first responders face many challenges in our day-to-day responses, so it's important that we have the tools to better meet these challenges head-on. Today uh, on the podcast, talking about autism with uh, Shannon Solinsky. Shannon is the program manager with the SARA project with Autism Canada and joins us today from her home in Alberta. Shannon, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm well. It's it, you know something we talk about the different challenges that you know we have to face and I guess any advantage we get to dealing with what we I guess what we often don't expect I guess uh, it, it helps us a lot and and autism is is one of those challenges that we may not first think of when we're doing training as first responders but I want to talk about before we get into the program with Autism Canada a bit about you and your background I mean you're you're a fire person you came from a fire background but certainly you have some uh, some personal reasonings to be to be involved with autism. Maybe tell us about that. Sure, and that's true. I did serve as a captain and a training officer for a small rural volunteer department in Southwest Alberta for a number of years. And that really helped me see the importance of serving our community and everyone in it, as well as being a training officer. I became pretty scenario oriented and really wanted to make sure that we were training as best we could to serve our community. And then later on, I did some work federally doing emergency planning for vulnerable populations. And that was really interesting R&D work because we looked at the questions, how do we plan for this? How do we adapt for that? How do we look at these populations and serve them and protect them? And in the fire service, we get called to so many different situations and we run into so many different people often on their worst day um, under high stress there's you know so many factors going on and being connected to the neurodiverse community is how I became part of the autism Canada team with my project and it's really helped me to have both that fire perspective as well as that personal connection to autism and neurodiversity to see how we can do better and where those gaps really could be that could impact both responder and the autistic community, sometimes in tragic ways. We're not that familiar, I guess, most of us with autism. And what do we need to know first off uh, about what what it's about? One thing that I have found very surprising in the trainings that I've done is that most people do have, either professionally or personally, some sort of connection to the autism community, whether it be a family member, a neighbor, a friend, someone that they know through work, child, or you know, someone at play school. There are a lot of connections to autism that we really don't know. It might even be that you're familiar with the work of Dr. Temple Grandin. When we think about autism, when we think about the autistics that we see or we know, we're only getting a sample of that one person in one space and time. And because autism is a diagnosable and diagnosed neurodiversity, it's a neurological condition that you're born with, it's brain wiring. You're born autistic and you're autistic through your entire lifespan. 
it's really important to educate ourselves on what that different brain wiring can do. And it changes people's perspective once you understand how different the world is from an autistic perspective. And it also helps us as responders to see how we can work within that world to keep that vulnerable population safe, but also to understand how they respond to us doing our jobs and how we can best support positive interactions and improve communication. Because there really are under, there's seven diagnostic criteria for autism. And folks, you're more than welcome to go to autismcanada.org, find out information about autism directly from the experts and the community there. When we do our trainings for search and rescue for autism and first response for autism, we go into a lot more detail around those things. But it's really important to understand that there's a lot of diversity in our communities culturally, um, from neurological standpoints to physical challenges. There's a lot of different diversity that we have to be able to adapt to in order to serve those communities as responders. Tell us more about the SARA project. And, and again, you said it's search and rescue uh, for autism, and again, we come from a fire background. Myself and and, our, and a lot of the, the the people tuned to to the podcast. But again, this is based on search and rescue in a I guess the ground search and rescue uh, uh, technique. Is that what we're talking about? Yes, we're talking about ground search and rescue. And the nice thing about the search and rescue community, as you probably well know, is that it's made up of people from different branches of service, different parts of the community, whether they be educators or therapists or they're working in social services. They can be police, fire, dispatch, EMS, you know, emergency communicators, planners, a lot of different people come together under that search and rescue umbrella. And it was a great place for us to start with our SARNF grant. And what we did is we, I went back to my training and went back to my planning days and I put us under the four pillars of prevent, protect, respond, and recover. So we built a suite of prevention tools to help autistics and their families and caregivers understand the dangers of wandering and bolting and how to prevent becoming lost. So we put together that set of tools and supports and then we also created the first of its kind technical training for search and rescue. So it's not a tip card, it's not a toolkit, it is trainable search and rescue. It's the tools that search and rescue can train to, it's based on scenarios and it's about knowing how to search for an autistic how to bring them back safely and how to avoid secondary incidents and also how to build those community relationships so that our responders are approachable and they also understand how to communicate with their different community members. Do you have to, I guess in the training, we'll talk about some training that's available or will be available in a few moments, but in the training, do you have to break down uh, misconceptions as part of the education? Oh, absolutely. There's, you know, there's so many misconceptions around not just autism, but also around search and rescue and searching. We've connected with Dr. Koister, who did the lost person behavior. We've connected with Dr. Kupitz and Dr. Temple Grandin, just around their thoughts and their expertise in different areas. And we do, we break down those misconceptions, those myths, and some of our own thoughts and ideas, like I had said at the beginning, a lot of people have a connection to autism, but it's usually one person and in one specific environment at school or at church or in the neighborhood. And when you've met one person with autism, 
that's all you've really done is met one person with autism and the spectrum is so broad and so diverse that we really have to take into account that diversity in the training and understand that sometimes we can be blinded by our own preconceptions and our own experiences around what we think autism is and it's not really what we're seeing or what we're understanding it's what we think we're seeing or what we think we're understanding so we do break that down a lot in the trainings and that's where the scenarios come in they're all based on actual incidents they're all based on actual stories from the responder community and from the autism community so we've heard from community members that provide service and those that are being served about their experiences and we brought it all together so that we can get rid of some of those misconceptions. We can learn to see what's really happening and not what we think is happening. And some of our additional supplemental trainings go into even more depth around things like sensory supports and recognizing behaviors that are not strictly tied to search and rescue, but they're supportive in the search and rescue and the emergency response for autism training programs. You had talked and used some words of like bolting and those kind of things. What are what what can a can a, a searcher or a rescuer uh, expect when uh, when searching for uh, for for people that that have autism? Most autistics fall under the most difficult group to search for, and that's mobile and unresponsive. They've usually become lost either due to wandering um, behaviors such as sensory seeking or goal seeking, or they've bolted from a stressor and they're trying to escape. Them being mobile and unresponsive means that they will move. They're not gonna respond as you would expect a neurotypical individual to. And the other thing that we teach our responders that's really important is autistics and neurodiverse folks tend not to manage hazards well, and they can have some pretty negative interactions with those hazards. So finding them quickly and managing those searches effectively to prevent a secondary bolting incident after you found them are really key parts of the training that we emphasize. When you have identified that you are looking for uh, for an autistic person, how does that change what the regular training of going out and doing a search? Well, and that's the nice thing about what we're doing with our training. The technical training itself is just adding more tools to the toolbox. Everybody has a favorite tool in the unit. Everybody has a favorite tool in the fire hall. We have favorite tools for jobs that we know they're effective for. This training is another tool in the toolbox. It plugs into what you're doing. So when you're planning your search and you've identified autism, then you know that there's specific questions that you need to ask investigatively from family, caregivers, friends. There are specific things that you're gonna to need to gather for information. And there's also information on the approach. Once you found that person, what's the most calming way to approach? What's the most secure way to bring them back to safety and reunite them with their loved ones? Because oftentimes what we think is the end of the search is really potentially the beginning of a second search because of a secondary incident. Interesting. If if Now, can we translate this teaching into the structural fire world now we are searching a house looking for uh for people inside a inside a building how do, how does the, how does that approach change if we are dealing with someone with autism it's absolutely transferable to almost any incident that we would be responding to in the fire service whether it is a structural fire if we're evacuating from a structural or a wildland or an interface fire if we're dealing with another large incident or we're dealing with an MVA, 
anything that involves removing the person from somewhere dangerous and taking them somewhere safe and keeping them safe, which is what we do, can have aspects for autistics and there's specific things that we can do that will help us find them if they're in a structural fire, how to keep them from bolting back into danger because where we felt was safe because we got them out of harm's way ended up being overwhelming enough that they wanted to escape from it. How to even identify when someone is got a very high pain tolerance and are not exhibiting signs of an injury at an MVA how do we communicate with that person if they're not our primary, but we're taking care of their family or loved one? How do we support that individual and have them understand that we're there to help and to keep them from wandering or bolting away from the incident? There's a lot of things within this training that are transferable to all of our response scenarios. And they're also transferable to other neurodiversities, which makes it a very important training because it allows us to be approachable and it allows us to serve our community in all of their diversity and still keep our members safe and have successful trainings and responses. How does age change our response? Because autism is through the lifespan of the individual. As people age, they change, but you're still dealing with someone who has that difference in brain wiring. They still have that neurological difference and approach and we have found that autistic adults still wander and bolt they still become lost they still are autistic in every way they just may have obviously they've matured most of us do <laughs> as time goes on and things can change for them as individuals but when we're dealing with planning for the autistic community we still keep in mind the same things around communication, around recognizing behaviors, around sensory supports, around understanding that community and the diagnosis and the things that go with an autism diagnosis, they all stay. They just may vary in severity or strength or even how apparent they may be to us. I'm thinking that the project, the SARA project is, is unique. Is it unique to Canada? It's unique to everywhere. We are the first technical training for search and rescue for autism, and we are the first to be doing training around emergency response for autism, specifically looking at technical training and also creating community supports training. So municipal managers, educators, municipalities, security services, they all could be accessing some of our other training and really supporting and being accessible to the autistic community. How long is it, uh, has the training program or how long has the project, I guess, been, been, uh, been underway? This is our third year. So we've really come a long way and done a lot of work in the last couple of years. We're doing our official launch and learn on Saturday, October 24th. It'll be a free online event. And we're going to be talking about the prevention materials. We're going to be talking about the programming, the support, and the technical training and the additional trainings that we've been developing. How do people get involved in the October event? They can go to our sarautism.ca website. They can pre-register. And the times are on there as well. And if they are a responder, they can 
register for a free login and they can start accessing resources and materials. And the social stories and the What is Lost comic is available for everyone. Tell us more about that. Uh, we haven't touched on the, on the uh, stories and the comics. So what we did is one of the, uh, an effective way to teach, especially young people, is social stories. A lot of occupational and behavioral therapists use social stories to teach about appropriate responses, what to expect, um, how to plan for things. So we, with, because with our NIF, we have Parks Canada as our partner, we created them, uh, the social stories, this first set anyway, around outdoor activities like hiking, going to a new place, being safe around a campfire, doing those outdoors activities that, especially with COVID, a lot more people have been enjoying and not often, you know, really preparing or planning for them as well as they should, as the number of SAR calls can tell us. So we built those social stories around that. The other thing we came up with was the comic called What is Lost? One thing that we learned in talking to our autistic community and our responder community is very often after a search, uh, the individual will be asked, why didn't you stop when you felt lost? And the response often comes back is what does lost feel like? I don't know what lost is supposed to feel like. I was doing my own thing when you came and found me. And this was a very common thread. And we decided to take the feeling out of lost and make loss something that you could recognize by outside factors. So are you in a place that you are not familiar with? Are you with people that you don't know? Can you, are you unable to get back to where you should be? Is someone calling your name or texting you or looking for you? These all could indicate that you're lost, whether you feel lost or not, this is what lost looks like. So we've taken the feeling out of lost and made it a set of criteria that an individual, and it's targeted towards older teens and young adults who have independence, they're exploring, you know, they're trying to find their way in the world, but they may become lost and know what, not know what lost feels like and not understand why being lost is so worrisome to their friends and to their friend, family and caregivers. So we created this tool to help them recognize not only what loss looks like, but appropriate steps to take when somebody's trying to get a hold of you to make you not lost. So it's been really great. We've had a lot of positive response from it, from the social stories and from the trainings that we've been doing. How would you measure success of the project uh, later on down the road? Uh, these training sessions, more to come. What uh, what to you represents uh, a successful project when you when all is said and done? When all is said and done, the training officer in me says that we're successful when we're training to things more and responding to them less. So we're more aware, we're more trained, and we have less incidents where we have to go and find someone who's become lost, who's autistic, where we have fewer secondary incidents from a primary fire call, where someone has bolted from what we think is safe and was not, where we have a culture that says, yes, when we're setting up sheltering, when we're planning an evacuation, we are taking this vulnerable population not only to into account, but we're training to support them and we're opening our doors to have those sensory friendly open houses or fire prevention week activities and that we're having fewer incidents. And from a program standpoint, the more people we have trained, then the, the more knowledge we have out there. And that's that's the best thing to me is because the more people that are aware, then the better the chances are we're going to have those meaningful conversations 
we're going to spend time training, and we're going to be able to live a lot in the prevention pillar and not so much in the respond pillar when it comes to preventable things such as an individual becoming lost or bolting from a secondary incident. Tell us more about the uh, the virtual event. Again, it's free, it's in October, and how do people get involved? They can register at our sarautism.ca website. They can also check us out on social media at Autism Canada. We will have the link to the registration. They'll be able to get their tickets. And if they have any questions, they can leave a comment on social media or message us. My email is Shannon, S-H-A-N-Y-N, at autismcanada.org. And I welcome anyone who has questions to get in touch with me. I would love to start a conversation with them and see where it goes. We would just love to be talking about this more and making it a part of our training conversation. The more we talk about things, the more we train to them, the more we we share our scenarios and our stories, the better prepared as a responder community we will be. And our overall communities will be better for it because we'll be more connected to one another and we'll have a better understanding of the differences that really make the diversity of our community such a beautiful thing. Shannon, thank you very much for taking the time. Very enlightening and uh, looking forward to seeing and hearing more uh, about the SARA project with Autism Canada. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you so much. And I look forward to being on with you again with an update. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.